The role of the modern day pastor and ministry leader is changing. More and more pastors around the world today are ministry leaders who are doing multiple jobs and wearing multiple hats. They are bivocational or co-vocational leaders. They may be pastors looking for creative ways to use their church or staff to create income and revenue for sustainability. They may be ministry leaders who are looking for ways to launch for-profit initiatives or integrate innovation into their organization. They may be those who want to do missions globally and find creative ways to create sustainability. Or they may be marketplace leaders who are called to stay in the marketplace, but want to be part-time pastors, lay pastors, start ministries or nonprofits. This is the age of the new ministry leader. They wear different hats and do different things. They are technologically savvy and global. They are who God is using to make an impact in cities and communities around the world. This is the Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader Podcast, and these are their stories. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Today, I get a chance to talk with Tom Lutz, author, equipping Christians for kingdom purpose in their work. Tom also oversees, is the chairman of the board for Convene, as well as oversee a bunch of different Convene groups, and you're a professor. So, Tom, I'm looking forward to just getting to know you and hearing about your journey in the business world, in the marketplace, in seminaries, all of that stuff. So, welcome. Thanks. Yeah, it's good to be here. Tell me, share a little bit about your journey. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, um, born and raised a few years ago in uh, Baltimore, Maryland. <clears throat> Uh, raised in a family that was, you know, mom was Catholic, dad was uh, a Methodist, but it was family, you know, where I was taught to pray and read the scriptures and, and you know, uh, it was Christian family in that sense. Um, uh, dad, when he agreed to marry a Catholic, I guess it's still true, but in those days you had to agree to raise the children in the Catholic faith. Uh, and so from uh, all the way through high school, dad was very faithful. We went, all my brothers and sisters, I was the youngest of five. Uh, basically, they um, he, he put us all the way through uh, parochial schools. So what I perceived to have been a very good education. Um, uh, in the middle of high school, got engaged with Young Life, went to Young Life's camps in Colorado. And it was kind of there that mm -hmm. I, I claimed my, my faith in Christ my relationship to Christ uh, in the summer between my sophomore and junior year. Uh, what's interesting is, uh, you know, I've, I'm, I'm not shy and I'm eat, good at being up in front of groups and crowds. And so I had a lot of uh, Christian uh, leaders who I really respected, who said in one way or another, if you want to serve God, uh, you'll become a pastor. And so uh, being an impressionable young man, I said, well, I want to serve God. So I guess that's what I need to do. Uh, and so went off to University of Maryland, studied classics, so Greek and Latin, uh, in preparation for seminary. Went straight from that into a Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, earned my Master's of Divinity. Yep. Then we went back to Baltimore. Uh, at that point, what do you do? You've got 19 years committed to a pastoral track. Uh, and I had the uh, good fortune to um, working with the uh, PCA, Presbyterian Church in America, start an inner city church in the inner city of Baltimore. So we moved right down into a fairly poor neighborhood with our kids uh, and were there for about eight years. During that time, um, <clears throat> I had several friends who were starting a company uh, and because the church couldn't afford to pay me much. They said, why don't you come work for us and we'll give you the freedom to to do the pastoral work. Uh, I tell my pastoral friends uh, after a couple of months in the workplace, 
I said, God, this is where God's called me to be. This is, mm. this is why I'm here. Uh, so I tell them after several years as a pastor, God called me to the ministry. Uh, and so sure enough, um, uh, I, I was bivocational for a period of time. And then uh, after a couple of years, the company was growing quite quickly. Uh, they kind of challenged me to say you had to choose which one. I really felt God's call for me was into the business. And so I uh, uh, basically, um, in you know, 1987, essentially, went full time in the business. We ultimately sold that in the year 2000. Uh, we had 1,800 employees in 18 countries. So it, it went from zero to, to, to that in 20 years. Um, then quickly after that, uh, we sold it in 2000. I left 2001. Just kind of at that point, trying to determine God's call for my life, decided that I was really good at strategic planning and helping people take a blank sheet of paper and, and figure stuff out. And after several years, uh, got associated with Convene, which is, a, uh, as you probably know, Christian yeah. CEO roundtable forums. Uh, and then as of about 2012, I dedicated, I worked part-time essentially, I dedicated my time to running two Convene groups and then to teaching at Metro Atlanta Seminary. I did earn my doctorate very, very uh, several years ago uh, on the, the, my doctoral dissertation was on um, discipling C-level Christian executives. And that's, of course, the gist of the book was, was on that topic. Very, very good. So like, for instance, in terms of discipling marketplace leaders, yeah, is something that people talk about right now, is something people are familiar back maybe about 10 years ago, it was, hey, you got to share your faith. Uh, you got to have a Bible sign on your wall. You got to have a Bible on your, it's evolved. It's changed over the last year. Wouldn't you say, Tom? Oh yeah. So, um, uh, you know, certainly for me, there was a, a seminal book in the mid, mid to late eighties by uh, Hendricks uh, called yeah. Your Work Matters to God. And for me, you know, having left the pastorate, uh, I always had in the back of my mind uh, that maybe I'd let God down. And so, you know, the, so that when I read that book and sort of took, you know, I said, God, God has called us to be uh, in the marketplace. He's called me to be in the marketplace. And my pastor's call is no more important than my call uh, in building the kingdom. Uh, yeah, but that has changed dramatically. Uh, what, what's interesting for me is uh, there's a lot of really good faith and work theology books. Uh, and what Got we it. determined, Heidi and I, when we set to writing it, was basically that what we needed was a how-to manual. So if you're a pastor or you're a campus minister or you're convened chair, uh, we haven't been given the language uh, to disciple people as image bearers called to the marketplace, mm. we've pretty much been given the language of discipling people to be church members. Uh, and we forget got it, got it, got spirituality. It. God cares about all of his creation, not just what happens at church. Got it. So now, Tom, you also teach in the seminary now. Do you find do. that seminaries are approaching their ways a little bit different in terms of training pastors, in terms of working with marketplace leaders, or is there some things that are evolving or develop, developing? Yeah. So what's interesting on that front is, you know, I went to what we refer to as a bricks and mortar seminary. You know, you basically, yeah. 
you pack up the U-Haul, you take your family, you drive to a foreign city or a, you know, a different city for me, St. Louis. Uh, you camp out for three years, bury your head in a book, and uh, three years later you surface and then you know you, you've been your brain's full of theology, but not a lot of practical um, how to. Uh, Metro Atlanta Seminary, which I'm, I'm on the board of, but also one of the professors, started about 10 years ago. We've got four campuses now, Baltimore, Augusta, Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, and Atlanta, about 200 students. Uh, and it is practicum and mentor-based. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's designed for, for two things. Number one, someone who is in a pastoral or church-related role but can't afford to pack up and drive to another city and to be educated Correct. is able to do their academic work. We do it. We do it all in one, uh, one night a week. And then about a 40% of their credit is their practicum doing the work that they're doing in the church. Uh, and then uh, about 20% is their relationship with their mentor. Uh, what's, what's um, unique about Metro Atlanta seminary is you can get a master's of divinity in, in, pastoral role or and this is unique you can get a master's of divinity with a workplace emphasis so we attract quite a okay. few people who who are whose primary um work is outside of the church and so with that Got sense it. it's um i think it's the wave of the future in terms of seminaries you know we do a lot more um uh, it's just much more flexible for someone who aren't wants to to earn the master's of divinity degree, but not go $50,000 in debt and give up three years of their lives. Well, you start looking at some of the companies like uh, Netflix, you look at Tesla, who's saying, hey, you don't need to have a four-year degree. Come and work for us and we'll train right. you. And so you look yeah. at the bricks and mortar seminary, some of them are struggling with their masters. You've got to find creative ways to continue to train and equip them, not only Bible, not only the uh, theology, but culture, faith and work. Sure. Leadership has to be included in all of that curriculum. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, so it's, I think, um, you know, there are several seminaries like us. Uh, I think that's the wave of the future. And also, if you think about it, it's the wave of the past. Yeah. Uh, it's the way pastoral uh, theological education of, of elders and deacons and pastors was done 200 years in the past and all the way back to the time of Jesus. Yeah. Like Jesus did. How did he train his 12? He trained them by walking the marketplace together. Does it look like that more and more, does it look like the modern day pastor is what you were doing back in 79, bivocational, co-vocational, where you have different roles, you wear different hats? Are you seeing that more and more? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, if you think about it, Paul was the first bivocational pastor. <clears throat> Paul, Paul operated a tent making business uh, and was proud of the fact that he did not, you know, he was not a full time uh minister and i think we're reverting back to that where you know when jesus spoke it's fascinating if you were if you go and study jesus pedagogy's teaching methodology uh basically what he did was he told stories about people's jobs all the time because he lived in that world he lived uh you know in in the book i quote this thing 47 of the 52 parables you can't understand unless you know somebody's job in earnest and 
there's 122 places where um, uh, Jesus is recorded as visiting. Only one of them was the temple, uh, and the rest were in the marketplace. Got it. Interesting. Hey, before we start talking about your book, tell me a little bit about Convene. For you and I oh, know yeah. Greg, I've known Greg for a number of years. What does the Convene group do? Yeah, so um, uh, a Convene group is a, think of a mastermind group. You may have heard that table or an advisory roundtable. Uh, we have uh, the tagline that Convene has says uh, we uh, connect, equip, and inspire Christian business owners and CEOs to be to lead exceptional businesses and to become high impact leaders to honor God. And basically we do, we think in terms of three environments when you're part of a convene group. One environment is what we call forum day. So that's where I'll get together with the 15 or so members in a group and we'll spend the day together studying some MBA level material. Uh, we'll be doing it marketing assessments of the company, or we may be doing HR assessments, or we may look at some financial tools or what have you. Uh, and it will spend usually about half of that day processing business issues that one of the CEOs is trying to make a decision about. Could be a hire, could be a, a, an acquisition of another business, could be expansion of the business to another city. In other words, whatever it is that that business owner uh, is, is trying to make a decision about but now he's got instead of got just it. one advisor he's got 15 coaches uh, that's what we call forum it. day i have two groups one is smaller companies two million and down the other is much larger companies up to several hundred million dollars uh, of revenue uh second thing is what we call the one-to-one -one meeting so i'll meet with uh with those ceos privately so hour hour and a half uh and we'll talk about Anything that that uh, falls into the categories of running the business with excellence, managing their family with excellence, their personal life, um, you know, just to help them be the leader that God wants them to be, not just in the business, uh, but in the family, in the community, in the church and all those different places. And then the longer you've been in the group, I've, one of the groups is 12 years old. It still has original members from when the group was founded. 12 years later, four of them, four of the original eight are still active. Um, what happens is it becomes your trusted advisory group, right? You just, you get to the point where these are your go-to people. When you've got a question, you need some help. Um, those are the people that you're going to call. You got a crisis of some sort. We're going to band together as a group and, and work on it. So it's forum day one-to-one -one, and then just the, the function of the group itself. Very good. And so when you first started, did you have to recruit different people or how does that happen or different people, different, just, yeah, just came so together? I've been around over 20, maybe 22 years. Okay. Uh, I don't know exact numbers, so don't hold me to these, but I want to say there's 50 or 60 chairs around the country, all cities across. It started in, in um, Southern California. Uh, so maybe a third of our groups are still in uh, essentially Orange County, LA area. Okay. Uh, but now we're all, you know, moving across the city. We've grown about 40% in the last two or three years. COVID, interestingly enough, uh, it caused expansion for us. I think there were a lot of CEOs looking for advice and, uh, and so forth. Um, 
Uh, and yeah, so um, I'm an independent contractor. Uh, you know, Greg works for Convene. He's the CEO of Convene. Yeah. Uh, Convene provides my back office. They provide me the content, uh, the speakers bureau. We get to bring four speakers into our groups each year. So they, provi- they provide, uh, I, back office is the word I would use for it. Yeah. Uh, and then so that frees me to really focus on, you know, paying attention and uh, to, the, to the person across the table from me. And I don't have to worry about all the logistics. Got it. Your book, Equipping Christians for Kingdom Purpose in Your Work, yeah. came about through your PhD program over at uh, Covenant. Tell me it a did. little bit about the book and a little bit about what you learned from writing the book. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a big topic. Um, so I'll tell you where it came, why I did that. So I've been real involved in the faith and work movement, speaking at conferences, uh, facilitating groups, um, you know, here, mostly in the Atlanta area, but also around the country to convene groups. And I was at a, um, I was at a faith and work conference uh, at um, uh, RTS Seminary here in Atlanta. And God said to me, you know, you've been in the same room with these same people mm-hmm. for 20 years now. And I looked around and sure enough, it's the same characters. Uh, we're all patting ourselves on the back about how clever we are to understand the theology of work processes. Uh, and then he said something, uh, you know, it's not an audible voice. You know, I didn't, I didn't, but I certainly heard between my ears this statement. Uh, Tom, till every Sunday from every pulpit, every sermon is illustrated from and applied to someone's workplace, the job is not done. And I said, wow, you know, that's true. In other words, we have got to get our our pastors, our campus ministers, uh, you know, anybody whose job it is, as we say in the book, to disciple someone who works outside the church. Uh, We have to teach them or help them learn how to talk to uh, that business owner, that um, blue collar worker, uh, that truck driver, whatever it might be. Uh, and I feel like I'm suited to do it because for 40 years, it's what I've done. I, 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 by vocationally, I learned to develop my sermons. My original sermons and discipleship material were developed in the workplace. Uh, and then now working with Convene um, CEOs, you know, I've just learned, I think, to talk differently, to think differently about what the Bible says. Um, some of the key takeaways for me, uh, we have a chapter in the book about uh, that basically says uh, seminaries have taught us. And then the pastors who graduate from seminaries have taught those of us who are lay disciplers, leading Bible studies, leading discipleship groups, have taught us to that spirituality is about what happens in church. Uh, But if you go back and you look at the creation of the image bearer, you know, when God created the image bearers and put them in the garden, he basically gave them three instructions. He said, number one, this place is empty. I need you to create abundance, fill it, but also create abundance and flourishing. Uh, Number two, uh, this place is, um, has infinite potential. An infinite God has implanted into this uh, world that he's created infinite potential, which will continue to extract into eternity. Uh, And number three, it's dangerous and incomplete. So you've got to subdue it. There's 
the power of wind, the power of electricity, the power of water. Uh, and he says, image bearers, that's your job, is to do all those things. So what we're talking about in the book is it's really important if you're discipling that person, don't just talk about what happens at church. Talk about what happens the 50 hours that they spend outside, uh, outside of your walls. The problem that I have sometimes with the faith and work movement within churches, it becomes limited to a four-week sermon. It then becomes limited to, hey, you have some strengths, share it and use it within the life of a church. Do you right. find that as you talk, do pastors get it or is there still some learning process that you have to help them process through? Yeah, no. Well, you know, that's what that's the problem. They'll read a, a, a Amy Sherman book or a Tim Keller book. Uh, they'll go to a conference. Uh, they'll hear a Steve Garber speak, you know, all the all the faith and work Illuminati. But then they go back to church and they don't the pastor or the you know, and again, whether it's a campus minister, whether it's a convened chair. Yeah. We have just been so uh, we've, we've been taught to have blinders on. And those blinders yeah. are to say spiritual is what happens at church. Uh, one thing yeah, I quote yeah, in the yeah, book, yeah. I say, when I say spiritual, the average Christian thinks non-physical. Uh, when I say uh, redemption, the average person thinks evangelism program. Uh, and when I say heaven, you think disembodied. Uh, and so we have to we have to teach our our disciplers, pastors, campus ministers, convene chairs, Christian coaches. Uh, we've got to teach them a language. That language takes a long time to learn. You can't learn it from reading a Tim Keller book. And so, mm -hmm. I, you know, I think what's unique about our book, it's not another book on the theology of work. It's, it's really a, a how-to manual about how do you craft sermons. I just taught a doctoral uh, class. Uh, the class is Recovering a Theology of Vocation. And in that class, one of the assignments was, uh, A, study how Jesus taught. And you go back and you look how much Jesus talks about the marketplace. He applies from and illustrates two people's jobs all the time. Uh, with the result that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you remember this phrase, the people were amazed at Jesus for he taught with authority, meaning it they, you know, just, you know, I mean, you know what it is, somebody who's credible in your world, not yeah. like mm -hmm. our scribes and Pharisees. And so what, you know, what happened those days, even as it happens now, the clergy uh, are so focused on the, whether it's the synagogue or the temple or the church, uh, and they're not bad people, mind you. Uh, but, but when you're a pastor or a disciple or what you think about is what are the things we have in common? So if I'm illustrating a sermon, I'm going to talk about hobbies because we both play golf or we both play tennis or we both ride bikes or run. Uh, we both have families. So I illustrate from families and we both go to church. So all the illustrations that come naturally to uh, our, our pastors are things uh, are not the things we do the rest of the week, which doesn't have visibility to uh, the church staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it makes total, total sense. Yeah. And I find that a lot of times is you, like, for instance, I, I will say this, Tom, is I got my MDiv order over at Moody Theological Seminary. But then oh, right. at the same time, I built cell towers for about 10 years. 
Ah, and, there you go. And sometimes I don't even know where I fit within the church because the churches don't know what to do with me because I'm not really an official pastor, but yet at right. the same time, I'm a volunteer. So how then do you, it's hard to find a place within the church sometimes. Uh, it is. I tell, I tell people that I, I'm bi, bilingual. I speak pastor and I speak business guy. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's where, and it sounds like you've got the same, you know, the same, the same thing. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of times I did, I, this is you talk about the change 10, maybe more than 10, 15 years ago, I led uh, perimeters uh, men's retreat on the topic of, you know, really what my book is. And I remember one of the pastors coming up halfway through the weekend saying to me, who's interested in this topic? And I said, well, look at the audience. These people are starving uh, to have someone talk about the bulk of their life as spiritually significant to God. And so use that 10 years of experience in the marketplace to illustrate your teachings and apply your teachings to what people, where people live. Yeah. I look at the scriptures, right? And Pete, I mean, Peter was called to go into full-time ministry. Matthew was called to go into full-time vocational. John, but you look at Zacchaeus, the chief of the tax collector, who right. was then called by Jesus, visited his home, but he was not called to follow Jesus like the other guys or even the rich young right. ruler. He was called right. to go back as a tax collector and serve right. within that realm, but with a different perspective. Yeah, precisely right. Uh, and that's what an image bearer is supposed to do. One of the things that the uh, question that I find is really interesting when you're trying to get people to understand this idea of image bearers, I asked the question, what would happen if nobody did what your company does? Simple question, but the kind of answers I get, I remember one of the groups I was speaking to uh, had a man who owned a trash collection business. Okay, they come to your house, dump your trash, take it away. And he just got to laughing. He said, you know, everybody would be dead. It would be bubonic plague if nobody collected the trash. And so then I asked him, what's more important, the collecting of the trash or the Billy Graham Association? And of course, that's the way we got to talk to people is God, God put us on this earth to create flourishing, right? And flourishing doesn't happen just when you're converted. It happens when your community is clean. I had another Correct. business owner who makes fasteners. So fasteners are things that hold walls together, clamps that hold yeah. angles together, hinges on doors, hasps on windows. And he also got laughing. He said, well, holy smokes, the world uh, as, we, um, as it exists couldn't exist because we could build nothing. We'd still be, yeah. we'd still be living in huts. Uh, I'll give you one more, just a third right. one. <clears throat> one of my yeah. convene members has a company that does maintenance and installation of beverage equipment in convenience stores. Right? So we have a quick trips. I don't know if you have those. We have quick trips here. And you go in there, get your morning cup of coffee and your donut. And I, you know, and he said, you know, if if nobody did what we do, i.e., nobody took care of that equipment, people couldn't get their morning coffee and their morning donut and the world would be less flourishing, right? It's that mosaic. Yeah. Uh, every yeah. Christian yeah. doing what they're uniquely gifted, called and positioned to do uh, to honor God. 
last question then, Tom, then how does the yep. church tangibly do that? You could have opportunities. You could do implement teachings in small groups. You could do four-week sermon series on faith and work. Are there things, tangible things that you've seen that works within churches that continue to disciple people in that regards? Yeah, well, part of my doctoral program, and it's also highlighted in the book and as an appendix, we did a program three years running. Uh, it was um, uh, funded by, um, oh, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't remember. Dude. It was by one of the uh, the, 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 the church-based philanthropies. Uh, we called Gospel at Workday. And basically what we did was we took someone on pastoral staff and matched them to a Christian who works outside the church. Yeah. Yeah, and the yeah, pastor yeah. went and uh, for a day shadowed them in their workplace and mind blowing really on both sides, you know, because now all of a sudden the pastors had visibility into what their people do all day. Um, Love it. And then, but, but what's interesting is uh, an example that came out of that. One of the uh, convenient business owners uh, hired a lot of, uh, but, well, six, seven, eight years ago, he had hired, he was hiring a lot of millennials as salespeople. Uh, and he didn't, he was an older man. He's approaching 60 now. Uh, and he was basically saying, I don't know how to uh, talk to these people. It just so happens he was mapped with the young families, young college educated families, pastor. Uh, and as the pastor sat in with him on these one-to-ones uh, uh, -one with his sales team began to realize that that business owner doesn't really understand the millennial generation. When they went to lunch afterwards, he said, you know, business owner, can I make a suggestion? I'd love to talk you through because I know these people well. That would never have happened. The business owner, sure as the Dickens, would never have gone to the pastor and asked help in managing a sales team. Right. Yeah, yeah, uh, and yeah, frankly, yeah. the the uh, pastor would never have thought of doing a series of sermons on managing millennial salespeople. But because the pastor was in the workplace, these things began to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we, we tell a lot of those stories in the book. Or I bet you a lot of times, Tom, the whole idea of pressure in the business place. Pastor goes visit someone to deal with revenue and sales goals and so a lot of times they're traveling all the time they have to meet certain uh, 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 sales goals then they sure. come home and they've been on the road for a whole week their wife wants them at home or their husband is taking care of all of the kids and so suddenly now you don't have time to go into the church where you don't have time to sit in church meetings so you have to find a balance and the pastor didn't realize that sometimes people don't have the ability to do it uh versus a lot of times i've had pastors says to me are you going to choose christ or are you going to choose the world you have to serve more actively in the church which becomes a hard thing to balance right yeah so a, a shameless plug uh those pastors should buy the book uh which is being published by tyndale and should be out uh soon um and uh because I, I it's just chock full not of theology, although we tip our hat and explain some theology, it's really a how-to book. It's a how do you pre how do you write a sermon uh, that speaks to those people at congregation? How do you disciple someone, sit across the table? How do you lead a Bible study uh, that resonates and brings brings the gospel uh, you know to to life? I'll tell you an interesting thing, I was just teaching, I mentioned a class in um, 
recovering a theology of work, the Barna group, you know them, they do the yep. research yep. within the church. Barna did a faith in, in the, in, at work study and found, and this is what I pastors need to understand. They found that about a third of Christians are what they call integrators. That means there are people who have a really good grasp on God's uh, plan for their work. What was interesting is they, they were the most likely to attend services, most likely to participate in church programs, the largest givers, uh, the most frequently ones who shared their faith on the work site. So pastors who can take this message uh, to their congregations actually increase engagement, increase yeah. revenue, uh, increase the amount of times that their their people are sharing the gospel just by helping them understand that the gospel applies to 100% of their life, not to yep. 10%. Yep. Got it. And then you'll probably say this too, then you got to then help the person understand how God designed them, what some of their passions are, what some of their strengths are. How then do you use it in your workplace and renew your community and your community, right. uh, your society, your church, all of those things, and then find opportunities in church to continue to help them in their area of passion too. Yeah. There's a whole chapter on that in the book. Yep. Yep. Well, Hey, I'm looking at it right now. If you go on amazon.com, it is on Kindle, but uh, the paper copy should be out pretty soon. So looking forward to getting a copy of it. Tom. Yeah. I, you all heard of the supply chain issue. Tyndale, one of the yes. biggest publishers in the United States can't get paper and ink. Which, oh my gosh. I didn't realize that. That's okay. why it's delayed. <laughs> so there's yeah. an important well, job, an important image bearer job. We need more image bearers printing books. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your idea, even at Gospel Workday and everything that you're doing and convening. So Tom Lutz, author, Equipping Christians for Kingdom Purpose in Their Work. And I am looking forward to actually getting to know you a little bit more and having you do some more teaching here. Uh, I'd love to. Talk soon. All right. God bless you. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Grow Center's Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader Podcast. To stay connected, make sure you subscribe to the Grow Center channel, rate and review this episode, and make sure to share on your social media platforms. We would love for you to follow along with the Grow Center on Instagram and Facebook at Grow Center Network and our website at www.thegrowcenter.com. See you next time.